Welcome to Words Matter with Katie Barlow and Joe Lockhart. Welcome to Words Matter. I'm Katie Barlow. Our goal is to promote objective reality. As a wise man once said, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, not their own facts. Words have power and words have consequences. Welcome to a special edition of Words Matter. Today, on what would have been his 70th birthday, we pay tribute to the late, great Tim Russert, moderator of Meet the Press, NBC News Washington Bureau Chief, and my friend. I was honored and privileged to have met Tim while serving as a young staffer in the office of Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Tim was already a big executive at NBC, but he'd also worked for the senator and always had time for a phone call, lunch, or a couple of beers to provide valuable advice and counsel, or just to lend an ear. Unlike many in the public eye, Tim was the same guy off-camera as he was on. Tough but fair, always quick with a joke, and above all, forever humbled by his success and the opportunities afforded the son of a sanitation worker from South Buffalo. What a country, Tim would often marvel. He lived by the words of the pious St. Luke, to whom much is given, much will be required. Tim believed it was his responsibility as a journalist to hold our leaders accountable, regardless of party, to ask tough but fair questions in pursuit of the truth. A lawyer by training, a Meet the Press interview was like a public deposition. He didn't suffer fools, and he wrote his questions so that anything short of a complete and honest answer would be met with a series of increasingly pointed follow-ups. When he believed a public official was shading the truth, or worse, Tim would lean across the table and remind them with purpose, Senator, Madam Secretary, Mr. President, words matter. That is his legacy. And for those of us who want to honor him, we must try our best to continue that mission. A few years after Senator Moynihan passed away, Tim and I were having one of our usual conversations. We talked about politics, baseball, and at one point I asked, Timmy, do you ever miss the big guy? Which was our mutual nickname for the great senator. There was a long pause, and in that unmistakable voice, filled with sadness, he replied, Every single day, little brother. Every single day. More than a decade after Tim's passing, I still feel the same way about him. So today, on what would have been his 70th birthday, we honor Tim Russert by playing his 2002 commencement address at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. Please join me in welcoming to the podium our commencement speaker, Tim Russert. Mr. President, Madam Chancellor, my fellow distinguished honorees, distinguished guests, and most important, the class of 2002. Before all else, congratulations, you have finally made it. I am often asked my favorite Washington story. As you might expect, it's a bipartisan tale in the proud tradition and objectivity of Meet the Press. It involves a Democrat, James Carville, and a Republican, his wife, Mary Madeline. They were arguing about politics on the set of Meet the Press, into the corridors, into the parking lot, into their automobile, down Nebraska Avenue heading home. The next day I called him and I said, this is only television and politics, 
Marriage is much more important. Are you two okay? James said, well, this is what happened, sir. I put the pedal of the metal going about 40 to 25. A police officer came up behind me with a flashing light and said, sir, your license and your registration. He said, officer, I'm a law-abiding citizen from the state of Louisiana. I would never violate a law here in the District of Columbia. He said, sir, your license and your registration. Officer, I would never... Finally, Mary leaned over and said, officer, he's a Democrat. He's lying. James said, what is wrong with you, woman? You're my lawful wedded wife, richer for poor, better for worse. How could you possibly say something like that to this police officer? What is going on? Police officer said, ma'am, does your husband always talk to you that way? She smiled and said, only when he's been drinking, officer. Life in Washington can be very difficult. I remember the former chief of staff, John Sununu, approached the revered first lady, Barbara Bush, and said, Barbara, I need your help, your wisdom, your guidance, your counsel. Why is it that people seem to take such an instant dislike to me? And she looked at him and said, because it saves time, John. <laughs> he plumped resigned six weeks later. Now, before you can begin to move on to the next phase of your lives, you must undergo the last grueling hurdle here in your career at UMass Boston, the commencement address. Let me be honest with you about my experiences with commencement addresses. I've been through several of my own. I've sat through dozens of others, and I can't recall a single word or a phrase from those informed, inspirational, and seemingly interminable addresses. This, in fact, is the second most humbling day of my life. The first was in 1985. I was granted an extraordinary opportunity, a private audience with the Pope. I'll never forget it. The door opened, and there he was, dressed in white. He walked solemnly into the room. It seemed at that time to be as large as this auditorium. I was there to convince His Holiness it was in his interest to appear on the Today program. But my thoughts quickly turned from Brian Gumbel's career and NBC's ratings toward the prospect of salvation. And you heard this tough, no-nonsense, hard-hitting moderator meet the press begin our conversation by saying, bless me, Father. <laughs> he took my arm and said, you are the man called Timothy from NBC. I said, I am your guy, don't forget this face. I said, your holiness, with all respect, however, there's only two of us in this room and I feel a most distant second. He put his hands on my shoulders, looked me in the eyes, and said, right. <laughs> That's humility. In that humble spirit, may a respectful servant and the laity of the Catholic Church, a church I love, offer a serious observation. I believe it is imperative when our bishops meet this month in Dallas, they work tirelessly to bring about a healing and reconciliation with all those who've been harmed. They adopt specific and enforceable measures that ensure the illegal and immoral abuse of our young will never again be tolerated by the church. In preparing for today, I thought about presenting a scholarly treatise on campaign finance reform, but I thought better of it. I guess I'm like that noted philosopher, Yogi Berra. I get it eventually. After Yogi had flunked his history exam, the teacher ran down the aisle, shook him, and said, Yogi, don't you know anything? 
He looked up and said, I don't even suspect anything. <laughs> yes, this is the same Yogi Berra who, when he visited a pizzeria, was asked whether he wanted his pizza cut into six or eight slices. He said, six, I can't eat eight. <laughs> it's not often you have a chance to meet and talk with people who same, share the same background and the same values. So let me skip the temptation of lecturing to you and instead take just a very few minutes to have a conversation with the class of 2002. Like each of you, my life changed on September 11, 2001 at 8.46 a.m. The English language does not yet include the words we need to express our sorrow for what happened on that day. Only in our hearts can we give full and complete expression of our grief and the sense of loss and the agony of seeing our nation so attacked. My dad was a truck driver and a sanitation man. He worked two full-time jobs for 37 years, and he never complained. And that was after he helped win World War II. That is the story of his generation. He never graduated from high school, but he taught me more by his example, his hard work, his basic decency, his love of his family and of his country. He taught me, indeed, the true lessons of life. And these lessons have sustained me. Particularly since September 11th. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe the president is right. We are at war and we must stay together. Simply put, there are those who want to destroy us, our people, men, women, or children, our institutions, our way of life, our freedom. For the media, this is not like covering the Florida recount or a presidential impeachment or a missing intern. In times of war, the media should lower our voices and modulate our tone. We may be journalists, but we are also American citizens. Indeed, the press and the government will have and should have serious disagreements over what is fair and timely and relevant news coverage, even how to define national security. But we must never report anything which puts our troops at risk, and we must always reject any attempt to suggest a moral equivalency between the United States of America and those who seek to destroy it. As a young boy, I remember listening to your son of Massachusetts, John Kennedy, whose award is named in his honor you gave this morning. I remember his inaugural address, let the word go forth from this time and place to friend and foe alike. The torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans. Let every nation know, whether it wish wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and success of liberty. Those words are as timely and meaningful today as they were 41 years ago. And so are these. President Kennedy concluded his with history, the final judge of our deeds. Let us go forth to lead the land we love, asking his blessing and his help, but knowing here on earth, God's work must truly be our own. What is God's work here on earth? 
Understanding that, I believe, is the key to a meaningful life. I am the first person in my family, like many of you, to have had the chance to go to college. I attended John Carroll University, where I received a superb education. And so too with you. You chose UMass Boston. You chose a school that was different, and you made the choice deliberately. The education you've received here isn't meant to be the same you could have received at scores of colleges, public or private, across this state or across this nation. You've been given an education that says it's not enough to have a skill, not enough to have read all the books, know all the facts, that values really do matter. You've been blessed with extraordinary opportunities, but as St. Luke tells us, to whom much is given, much is expected. Graduating from UMass Boston has given you incredible advantages over others in your generation. I too have heard the sometimes smug remarks about large state universities. You think you've had it bad, you should try being a Buffalo Bills fan in Washington, D.C. By the way, thank you for Drew Bledsoe. I, appreciate I actually took Meet the Press to the Super Bowl a few years back. At the end of the program, I looked into the camera and said, it's now in God's hands and God is good and God is just. Please, God, one time, go Bills. My colleague, Tom Brokaw, jumped up and said, you Irish Catholics from South Buffalo are shameless. You can't pray on the public airwaves. I said, you'll see the power of prayer, Brokaw. Well, the Dallas Cowboys slipped by the Bills 38 to 18. Actually, the first person I saw after the game was Brokaw. He yelled across the room, hey, Russert, I guess God's a Southern Baptist. <laughs> you have something others would give anything for. You believe in your country, in your family, in yourself, in your school, in your values. Remember what our parents and our grandparents and our teachers repeated and repeated and tried to instill in us. I believe if you worked hard and played fair, things really would be all right. And you know something, after working for senators and governors and meeting popes and interviewing presidents, I think they might be right. Will Rogers put it this way, it sure seems funny, the older I get, the smarter my mother and father seem to get. The values you have been taught, the struggles you have survived, the diploma you are about to receive have prepared you to compete with anybody, anywhere. Reject the conventional wisdom that success is only for the rich or the privileged or the Ivy League educated. Don't believe it. I didn't. People with real values have a way of helping and teaching, connecting with one another. People with backgrounds like yours and mine can and will make a difference. In Poland, it was a young electrician named Lech Walesa, the son of a carpenter who transformed a nation from communism to democracy. In South Africa, Nelson Mandela, President Nelson Mandela, a brave black man who worked his way through law school as a police officer spending 28 years in prison to prove one central point, we are all created equal. And these leaders, and like those on this stage you honor today, they all have one thing in common with you. Like the past, the future leaders of this country and this world will not be born to the blood of kings and queens, but to the blood of immigrants and pioneers. It is now, it is now your turn.
You will have the opportunity to be doctors and nurses, therapists, lawyers, accountants, social workers, soldiers, journalists, law enforcers, business people, teachers, and more. And in those vital professions, your contributions can be enormous. You can help save lives, provide prosperity, record history, prevent disease, train young minds. It was your grandparents and your parents who defended this country, who built this country, who brought you into this world and a chance to live the American dream. Will your generation do as much for your children? You know you must. Every generation will be tested and given the opportunity to be the greatest generation. And so too with the University of Massachusetts Boston graduates of 2002. You were born to be players in this extraordinary blessing called life. So climb the ladder of success and work and live in comfort and enjoy yourself. You've earned it, and that is the American way. But please do this world one small favor. Remember the people struggling alongside you and below you. The people who haven't had the same opportunity, the same blessings, the same education. Twelve children a day are shot dead in the streets of America. More have died from bullets the past 15 years than we lost in the war in Vietnam. And the correlation between poverty and drugs and gangs and death is overwhelming, staggering, numbing. All of us in government, corporate America, labor unions, churches, synagogues, mosques, and yes, the media must teach, cajole, insist our children finish school, learn a skill, hold a job, get married, and then have a baby in that order. We all know extraordinary individuals who have succeeded against all the odds and we salute them. But it sure is better for any baby to have a loving mom and a loving dad at the creation and throughout the education of rearing their child. If we are serious about being the world's premier economic, military, and moral force in the world, we have no choice. We will need all of our children contributing and prospering. We can build more prisons, and we can put more police on the street. But unless we instill in our young the most basic social skills and cultural and moral values, we will live in a very different society. We must motivate, inspire, yes, insist our children truly respect one another. Love thy neighbor as thyself. We must do everything in our power to make sure schools are meaningful, skills are learnable, and jobs are available. No matter what profession you choose, you must try, even in the smallest ways, to improve the quality of life of children in this country. No matter what your political philosophy, reach down from that proverbial ladder and see if there isn't a child you can pull up a rung or two. Some are sick, some are lonely, some are uneducated. Most have little control over their fate. Give them a hand. Give them a chance. Give them their dignity. We must teach our children they are never, never entitled, but they are always, always loved. There is indeed a very simple truth. No exercise is better for the human heart than reaching down to lift up another. That is your charge. That is your opportunity. Defending and protecting our freedom and caring for our children. That's what I believe it means to be a member of the class of 2002 of UMass Boston. For the good of all of us, Please build a future we can be proud of. You can do it, but please get busy. You only have 2,300 weeks before you'll be eligible for Social Security. <laughs> have a wonderful life. 
take care of one another. Be careful tonight. Thank you, Celtics. I hope the Red Sox don't break your heart again. And of course, go Beacons. Thank you for listening to Words Matter. Please rate and review Words Matter on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers.